Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. So the the two verses in the book of Revelation that I thought for the past probably three or four weeks that I was going to share today, over the past 24 hours, the Lord has just kind of pushed off to the side and has brought in a whole new set of scriptures. So we'll see where the next half hour takes us. Uh, so what we've been talking about, we've been going through this series uh, be, uh, below the surface, and we're talking about this hidden, this secret, this private life that we have with the Lord. We want the deep roots. We want the strong foundation. We want a well that is overflowing with living water. So we've gone through four different topics so far in this series. The first one was returning to the simplicity of loving God. Like, let's not overcomplicate this thing. The second was being planted by the river. The third, finding strength in our weakness, being vulnerable, transparent before the Lord. And last week, Pastor David, like we mentioned, uh, talked about building a firm foundation on God's word. And today I want to talk about uh, the the, the topic of beholding God's glory or beholding his glory. If you look at uh, different theologians and studies and so on, that word glory, what you come with is the weighty importance of his majesty and his splendor that accompanies his presence. So when we say, oh yeah, I was sensing God's presence today, God's presence is always with us. There's a weightiness that comes when his glory shows up, whether it's in your private time with the Lord or in public settings that you can say, his presence is always with me. Say that, say his presence is always with me. There's something different when his glory rests upon you. A lot of people can actually say, well, I sense it physically, though we don't wanna be led by our emotions. But when he comes in the room, everything changes everything changes. I heard it once and I've used it in my mind uh, when just discerning what the Lord was doing, not just by my emotions, but the confirmation of my heart and my spirit and so on. But I've heard it, uh, I've heard his glory compared to the x-ray blanket that they lay over you about when you're about to go, where it's heavy enough to know that there's something here, but it's not constricting. It's not, you know, it's not like (laughs) strangling you, but there's that nice, soft weight that you know there's a presence here that wasn't before. So what I want to do is to talk through some areas in the Old Testament and then just tie it in with the New Testament of God's glory, the importance of actually being able to behold it. So what's that mean? It means witness it, experience it, steward it, actually allow his glory to rest on you and not be so anxious to go and do something whenever he comes. Now you'll often hear Christians say, or maybe it's even in a song, say, we give you glory. And what you could think is like, wait a minute, what do, we need? what do we have to give him? Like, he's not waiting for us. Like, I'm gloryless and I'm waiting for you to hand me glory. When we give him glory, we're saying, we are honoring you with high esteem. We are here with our hearts recognizing the glory, the, the majesty, and the splendor in which you operate and who you are. Does this make sense? So when we're saying we're, we're, we're basically handing him a piece of our heart. We're surrendering more of our heart to him when we say we're giving you glory. We're not actually handing him chunks of glory. If we see throughout scripture, God's glory has been manifested in many different ways. When he showed up in a special way, it was anything from fire, clouds, building shaking, rushing winds, earthquakes, bright lights, lightning, and more. So today what I want to do is follow through a thread uh, with Moses, the individual of Moses, and see how God showed up and how he hosted and beheld the glory of God. Moses was the leader of the Israelites. 
He was the one that was chosen to talk with God. If you remember, on the bottom of, the Mount, of Mount Sinai, they're like, in fact, God told them, God told the whole group in the desert after they were delivered from Egypt that they should be a kingdom of his royal priests. And they said, no, thank you. Let Moses talk to you. We'll do everything that you say, which they didn't, but they wanted Moses to be the spokesperson. Now we experience the priesthood of all believers. We have access to the Father, every single one of you. It's not just those who are in ministry or those who have been believers longer. You say yes to Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit in you and you have access to the Father as a royal priest. But God was revealing himself to Moses on Mount Sinai. Moses was the one that was allowed to go up the mountain. The people had to actually make a boundary around the mountain if they passed through that because they were getting too close to his glory that they would actually die. It's not because God was mean. It's not because he was violent. It's his splendor and his majesty that our human bodies cannot handle without his permission to come closer in the Old Testament. So in Exodus chapter 19, starting at verse nine, it says, the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak to you. Then they will always trust you. So they're talking about moving through. They're about to put in place a covenant, the 10 commandments, all of the rules and the regulations. But God chose for this thick cloud to come whenever his presence showed up. And God wants his glory to release confidence and favor upon you to the point that when others see you, they know you've been with God. Now look at this. God's saying, I'm gonna come and rest in my glory as a cloud. He's gonna show up in this thick, dark cloud. I do believe one of the reasons why he showed up there is because he'll even say later that you can't see my face and survive. So he's hidden within that cloud. But it wasn't just for that private moment with Moses. Though he was with God one-on-one, -on -one, he was showing other people, I'm showing up. This is how I'm choosing to manifest myself. This is a mighty time. It's a very clear time where his glory shows up different than just his presence. His presence was with Moses when they were being delivered. His presence was with Moses when the, when the plagues were being, when the miracles were happening before they were delivered. But his glory was showing up in a mighty, mighty way in this moment. And he's saying, this is how these people are going to know that I'm talking to you. And I do believe when we take time and just ask for his glory to settle upon us, Father, I ask that your presence would come in this room, would come upon me in a greater way than it had before. And you don't have to wait for like the goosebumps to happen. You don't have to wait for everything to be perfect in your life. Follow the stories when God shows up, whether it's on the cloud, whether it's the day of Pentecost, whether it's Paul traveling along the road. When God shows up in his glory, it doesn't mean everything's right in your life. It doesn't mean you felt all warm and cozy and cuddly that morning. It doesn't mean that you even felt you woke up and you were passionate. It means you put yourself into his presence in a greater way than just the Holy Spirit with you. And then you ask for him to rest upon you in a greater way. And this is what he did here. And he goes on, and they're giving some different stipulations in the following verses. And in verse 16, he says, on the morning of the third day, listen, this is how God showed up. On the third day, the thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn and all the people trembled. Moses led them out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. 
All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because of the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. And like, picture this. We just roll straight through these verses. Like how about tomorrow? How about tonight, whenever? Throw everything else away you were gonna do and just sit in these verses. Father, if you came in roaring thunder and lightning flashing and in a dense cloud, if you came with this billowing smoke, if you came in the form of a fire externally, what do you want to do in my soul today? Like Adam was saying before, close your eyes and just imagine what's happening here. We get a little bit nervous if people start jumping up and down at the altar. Like this is how God showed up. This was his glory coming to rest in this area. So it says, the smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln. And the mountain shook violently. Like, <laughs> we wouldn't even think God. We would start calling 911, right? If our, if our building starts shaking. We want to be biblical, people say, right? I say that. I want to be biblical. This would make me a little nervous. <laughs> I want to be biblical, and this would make me nervous. Can you picture this like in your bedroom, in your closet, in your basement, wherever you spend time with Jesus? A cloud just comes in and it starts shaking and you see fire, lightning striking. It says that the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder. Oh, could you imagine that? Moses spoke and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. And this is surprising. Moses actually climbs it. So we have thunder roaring, lightning flashing, horns blasting, smoke billowing, fire burning, and mountains shaking. And I take this, I'm thinking about these verses, and I take this. In the old covenant, this is an external manifestation of his glory. And now we have the opportunity through the presence of the Holy Spirit for our insides to be overcome with the cloud of his glory, <clears throat> for our insides to burn with that fire, for our soul to have flashes of lightning coming through it, for our heart to be shaking violently because of the Lord. These are all opportunities that we have in our heart when we catch a glimpse of what he wants to do when he settles in his glory. There's a phrase here that happened all the way up in verse 16. It says that all the people trembled. I've watched over the last 10 to 15 years uh, a message of God's grace, unconditional love, acceptance, all those things be taught in the church. And it's needed because we were coming out of a season of legalism and you can't do this and you can't do that and don't have fun and don't do this and don't wear that. And all these things, all these rules are being set up. So the Lord, in his grace and by his mercy, revealed a message of unconditional love and grace. It's all found in his word. It's just his ongoing revelation of what he's giving the church in this season. I know that message helped me tremendously because I grew up thinking he was mad at me. If I would mess up, the father's mad at me. If I would mess up, he's disappointed with me. He loves me, but he doesn't like me. So that message that has been released to the church in this season is vitally important. And yet at the same time, I feel like we've swung so far this way that we've forgotten about the importance of the fear of the Lord. 
Yes, he's my father. Yes, he's my daddy. And yes, he's still the judge. We hear that word fear. And we say, wait a minute, doesn't the New Testament say love, perfect love casts out fear? Absolutely. That's the fear of punishment. That's the fear of not being loved. That's the fear of being isolated. This fear is a reverence. This is not a fear that he's going to hurt me and he's mad at me and he's angry. Are you guys catching this? Do you know the difference? One is fear of being beat by the Lord. The other is an, is an honest reverence and awe that you are so majestic. You are so beautiful and yet so fierce, all in one glimpse. We are not going to bring that to our hearts if we do not take time below the surface. You're not gonna get that on a Sunday morning. You're not gonna get it in a Bible study. You're not gonna get it during a worship service. It's gonna be you and Jesus alone, meditating, on the beauty and the vastness and the fierceness of his love, of his presence, of his character, until we can say, God, I'm starting to get a glimpse of your glory. I'm starting to sense what they sensed when the cloud came and enveloped the mountain. I'm starting to get a glimpse of what was happening in these people's hearts when the lightning started striking and the thunder started cracking through the airwaves. And you don't come out weak. You don't come out afraid. You come out more filled with his glory than ever before. But it takes time. If we jump all the way to Exodus chapter 33, so in the all, in, from, from 19 into 20 and then all the way through 33, the Lord's giving Moses instructions. The people accepted the covenant. Moses comes down, they accept the covenant. He comes back up. The first set of the 10 commandments were given. And the first set of the Ten Commandments were broken. Like, not just by the people. Moses threw them to the ground. So Moses is up here in the glory with the cloud present. And the people detached from the glory because they didn't want to, because they were afraid. No, Moses, you go ahead and do it. They detached themselves from the glory. And what do they do? They make a golden calf and begin to, to have a festival around this thing. It was a fertility God in those days, and they made their own. So right at the top of the mountain is the glory, and yet their hearts were not connected with the glory, and they got caught in idolatry. And that will happen with us. We have the glory available to us. We have his presence available to us. But if we separate it, we can be so close to other people who are radical for Jesus. You could be in the most life-giving church, but if your heart is not surrendered to his glory, eventually you will fall into idolatry. You'll look for something else that feels better or looks better. So in Exodus chapter 33, verse eight, now he's on the ground here, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the place, it's a temporary place of worship that they would take down and put up uh, throughout the wilderness, he already received his instructions. It was built. It says, whenever Moses went out, this is verse eight, uh, to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, a pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. 
there was such an intimacy. So what you have here, you still have that public, that, that outward revelation of God, the manifestation of his glory was the cloud. But there was an interaction going on between him and Moses that nobody else could experience. I mean, think of what that says. We see later in scripture that nobody could actually see the, the, what we would call the physical face of God and survive. So when he's talking about face-to-face, it's a, it's a phrase of intimacy. So can you imagine that? In one moment, these people are terrified and they see all this stuff going on. And yet Moses is saying, I'm willing to take that step into not just your presence, but where your glory settles. And I'm willing to get to know you. And I want you to get to know me. Do you see the phrase there? They talked as if they were friends. How many of you know friendship conversation is a two-way street? It's not just God talking, talking, talking. There was Moses talking back to the Lord and back and forth. And I believe that Moses is modeling what a presence-based lifestyle looks like. Like more, it's more important for him to be with him than to try to do things for him. In fact, Moses gets into a conversation with God. God's like, listen, you guys are stubborn. Read the chapter. You guys are stubborn. I can't go with you. I can't be near you. You're stubborn, stiff-necked people. He says, I'll send an angel ahead of you. And Moses says this. Moses says, I'm not going anywhere unless you come with me. Which shows me that, that Moses was more interested in the presence of God than the promise of God. He was saying, I'm willing to stay here and not enter into my promised land unless you're with me. It's not going to be worth it. We're gonna fail miserably. Your angel won't even suffice. I need your presence and I need your glory. So, so God's saying, okay, I'll go with you. He relents, it says, because they had a relationship. I, I love it. Follow this through. God's ready to destroy them for making the golden calf. God's ready to not go with them. But because Moses spent time, he beheld the glory. It says God relented. One scripture says God never changes his mind, but in relationship. He's saying, Moses, I'm gonna do these things. But I see your heart, Moses. I love you, I respect you, I'll hear you out. In that relationship, as the glory cloud was resting there, God relents and says, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. It's amazing when you think about that. So Moses wants a sign. He says, listen, you have to prove to me that you're gonna be with me. And in verse 18, it says, Moses responded to this conversation. Then show me your glorious presence. A lot of your translations will say your glory. Then show me your glory. Show me your glorious presence. And the Lord replied this, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Check this out. Moses is asking for the glory of God to come. Show me your glorious presence. And what does God say he's gonna manifest right before him? His what? His goodness. That's so beautiful to me. When his glory came, when the cloud came, when the fire and the lightning came, there was fear. But now out of personal relationship and intimacy in that realm of the glory, he says this, you wanna see my true glory. It's my goodness. My goodness is gonna come past you. I think that's so awesome because when we're asking for his glory, we're not asking for anything. We're not asking for all these signs. We're not asking for the cloud. We're not asking for our room to shake. We're not asking for lightning to come through. We're saying we want to see your glorious presence. And the response of the father is, my goodness is going to pass you by. Wonderful. 
Now you'll see in following verses that he says, when my glorious presence passes by, he has to hide Moses in the crevice of the rock so he cannot see his face. He was able to see him from behind. If we go to Exodus chapter 34, moving on, it says here, or what's happening here is Moses is going up to Mount Sinai to write the second set of commandments because the first ones, like I said, were broke. Isn't that, I think, that, I think that's awesome too. When you think, I'm like, Moses loses his temper. God wrote these things. Like it's God etched in the stone and he takes something that God made in his anger and throws it down. Yet he doesn't run away from God. He continues to press into not just his presence, but the glory. He continues to have conversation. It's a great example of how you can mess up. Anger can get the best of you and you can still step into his presence. God welcomes you back into relationship. Right? So, so some of you might be thinking, well, that's, that's for the super spiritual people to actually sense his glory and experience this and that. I've messed up too much. That's not my type of personality or, or I've done this and this and this. Absolutely not. Moses tried talking God out of sending him plenty of times. Well, I'm, I'm this, I'm this. Well, I can't speak well. This, 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 this. Trying to make all the excuses in the world. And he, he still came out of this thing with an intimate relationship with the Lord where his glory rested. So in Exodus 34 and verse five, it says this, then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and he called out his own name, Yahweh. It go, the Lord continues to speak. And out of this coming down, when, when God's glory settled once again on this mountain, it says in verse eight, Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshiped. So the result of God's glory in this situation was not like, God, can we get these 10 commandments written again? Can we get more work done? Can you tell me more rules, more laws, more regulations? What did Moses do? What was his response? You're allowed to talk back to me now. Like, I'm, this isn't. <laughs> he worshiped. I was thinking about this. Like a lot of times we'll teach like in the church, we'll have like lessons on how to worship more, how to worship better. You know, this hands like a little bit, this is great. And like all, all these things. If you're really spiritual, you'll kneel down. Really, really spiritual, you'll lay before the Lord. Really, really, really spiritual, you'll twirl and turn. <laughs> All of those things are accepted and expected, Amen. but it comes out of being in his presence. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, we can teach on different aspects of worship. I think that is important. But what, what Moses didn't have to like refer to a book on what to do in this moment. Like, what if you said, I scrap, all, I scrap all the ideas and everything I've ever seen done in a church service for worship. And I ask Heavenly Father, what if you just took a season and said, I scrap it all. And I just ask you to come into this room. I ask you to come in a greater way than you ever have in my prayer time before. I just ask you to come until you begin to sense his presence. And it might not be physical, but it might be. It might not manifest as a cloud, but it might. Maybe it'll just be an inner discerning. And I guarantee you in that moment, nobody's gonna have to tell you whether to kneel, lay down, or begin to twirl before the Lord. Nobody's gonna say, in this moment, cry. Okay. Right, you, you can actually bring yourself to a place of being undone, no religiosity, no past practice, was this was appropriate, this wasn't appropriate. It's you and the Father by yourself below the surface in his glory. I would be utterly embarrassed to know 
if anybody would ever have seen me some of the times, even in that prayer room by myself, where you just sense his presence so much that you begin to dance in a way that you're very happy that nobody else is there. <laughs> or you do, you lay before the Lord and there's like snot you know, on, the, on the carpet. So you want a better worship life? Ask his glory to settle on you. Get the presence thing. Take time for his presence to just rest. And I guarantee your heart will be one of a worshiper. In verse 29, it says, Moses came down from Mount Sinai carrying the two stones inscribed with the terms of the covenant. But he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of his face, what'd they do? They were afraid to come near him once again. You know, I really do think that time in his presence, time in his glory should allow us to shine, right? Like Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And then he says, you're the light of the world. How do we become the light of the world if he's the light of the world? We spend time with the one who shines. So if you say, well, I don't understand that word glory and beholdness. Spend enough time with the one who shines until you shine. If people are still getting irritated or frustrated with, with you and your relationships with them, then just go back and spend more time with the one who shines until you shine. Mess up again, spend more time with the one who shines until you shine. Just in the new covenant, they're not gonna be afraid to be near you. They'll want to be near you. They'll be attracted to the favor that's on your life because you're shining. In fact, the new covenant talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse seven. It says, the old way with laws etched in stone, led to death. Can you say death? So the old way, God knew that these laws that were etched on stone were gonna bring people to a place of death. He wasn't trying to kill people. He's saying, once I see these laws, I know I can't keep them. I know that I'm gonna break them because I don't have the strength in myself. So because of that, I need a savior. I have to turn back to the father because I cannot uphold these, these laws. So the, that, that law written on stone brought people to a place of death. It's as though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading. See, so Moses' face, he would cover it with a veil when he came out of the place of the glory. His face would be shining and he would keep that covered until he went back in and he would lift it back off. But that brightness, that radiance on his face would fade slowly when he came out. Now we have here, the law, it's bringing awareness of sin, which leads us to death. Now we have the spirit that brings us to an awareness of our righteousness that leads to life. And in verse 12, it says this, since this new way, this is life in the spirit, gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. Does that mean not have reverence for the Lord? No. Does that mean come in flippantly and just like, hey, what's up, God? No. You have that reverence. You have awe while you have the intimate relationship that he's your daddy. It's like, it's, there's such a tension in that. There's fire in his eyes, but there's acceptance and there's love and he holds you. There's judgment coming for those who don't follow him. And yes, yet he's our shepherd that brings us close to him. How that cannot captivate our hearts enough to say, I, I, I need more of this. I need more of you. I need to experience one more facet of you because we see so many different elements of scripture that we just fly by. 
but we can get to a point of beholding his glory. In verse 13, it says, we are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see his glory, even though it was destined to fade. In verse 16, it says, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Right? So now we're not saying, okay, you, you, you kneel here, you sit here, you lay here. No, there is freedom to worship the Lord however his heart captivates you. I'm just concerned that not enough of us are spending enough time with him for him to captivate you. Like what would a Sunday service look like if 400 and some people that might be in this room right now would have spent six consecutive days asking for his glory to come in a greater way? And we express ourselves privately, but we come together to express our love and our affection to him publicly. What would a service look like? If our hearts were radiant because of the glory of God upon us, not worried about what our faces look like. It says, so all of us who have had the veil, verse 18, removed can see and reflect the glory of God. Say, see, reflect. We have the opportunity now because the veil has been torn in the temple to see his glory as it is. And we also have the opportunity to reflect this glory. And it says, and the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. One translation says, we are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. Which means this, when Moses spent time in the presence of God and he left, his face would fade and fade and fade the longer he was out of his presence. But in the new covenant, it's actually supposed to increase because we have the presence of the spirit within us. So we spend time with the one who shines until we shine. But now when we go to work, when you go to school, when you go into your community, the presence of God is still here. He's still with you. So you can shine in a greater and greater and greater way. And as long as your heart stays connected to the glory, then you are transformed with ever increasing glory. You don't say, well, I'm really tired at the end of the day. I just feel like, you know, eight hours ago, 10 hours ago when I spent time with the Lord. No, spend time with him the entire time. And then you're, you, you receive the glory from the Lord. You walk with him in his presence. Then what happens the next morning? You're not starting over here. You're starting over here. You keep his heart connected. Ask him to come in a greater way. Greater way. Okay, okay, God, this is making me nervous, but I ask for more. This is making me really nervous now because I sense you in a way that I never sensed before. I ask you for more. What if we were so surrendered, so surrendered to him that we would approach him in that way? Say, I want to behold your glory. I want to read one more out of Second Chronicles and then we'll close. <clears throat> the tabernacle that Moses spent time with the Lord in was put up as a permanent resting place for the glory of God called the temple. The temple was finished in 2 Chronicles 5, verse 7. All of the elements were put up and this was going to be the final, final, the permanent resting place for God's presence to rest upon the Ark of the Covenant. And in verse 7, it says, And the priests carried the Ark of the Lord's Covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and he placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim. There were these two angels that were crafted. If you go down to verse 13, so what happens is all the priests, they, they set God's presence there, okay? 
where, where the presence of God was going to rest on this Ark of the Covenant. They leave, people are grabbing their trumpets, their horns, all these things, cymbals, lyres, harps. I mean, they're, they're about to have a party. They're about to celebrate and worship this, this resting place for his presence. Verse 13, it says, the trumpeters and the singers perform together in unison. Do you see how there's a private time with the Lord to worship him, but there is a corporate time to come together and worship in unison? I do think that too. I, I know, you know, in, in the old days when there were more hymns and so on, the lights would be up bright and there was a, a unifying declaration of his word. Now in this season, the lights are low and sometimes you could be, and we'll even say it to close yourself off with the Lord, right? Just make it between you and him. How about we do that the six other days of the week and we come together and, and, and we can have the lights on. I don't care about that. I'm saying together though, with brothers and sisters in Christ, we can in unison declare the praises of our King. So it says, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raise their voices and they praise the Lord with these words. What? He is fearful. He is violent. He is what? He is good. They must have known when Moses experienced the closest glorious presence that he ever experienced with God, that it was his goodness that passed by. And now they're in the temple and they're saying, you know what? He's not, they're not saying, he is thunder, he is lightning, he is a cloud. No, he is good. They're declaring his goodness. Do you see how they're declaring his goodness? I've heard it said before, well, I can't experience God's presence. I can't, I, I, don't, I don't sense him, he doesn't talk to me. When I was praying through this message, I feel like the Lord's saying, when you're approaching me, thinking I'm an angry God, I'm a judgmental God against those who are under grace. I'm a frustrated God. I keep a score type of God. When you are approaching the Father and you've applied those things on his character and then you're inviting him to come, you're actually inviting the wrong spirit to come in the room at that time. Because you're saying, Father, come. But that would be like if my kids would say, Eric, come. Daddy Todd, come. Dad, Brian, come. Would I come? So I don't know. I don't know. I'm a dad, but you're saying Eric, Todd, Brian, that's not me. But we go to the Father and we're like, well, you have to be mad at me because I messed up. You have to do this. You have to be this. You're probably frustrated. You're probably annoyed with me. And then we start praying and we've invited the wrong spirit in the room. But if we could sit before him and say, you're good. I don't feel good at all, but you're good. <laughs> I admit your goodness. I admit you're great. And I want to see your majesty come. I want to see the trueness of the goodness of God come into this place as I pray and as I worship. I promise he'll come. He'll come because you've called the right father into the room. The father who's good and whose faithful love endures forever. It says in the, the second half of the verse 13, at that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And I love verse 14. Listen, this is coming off of all of these chapters of all of these things that you have to do right in this temple. Moses was instructed, every little detail had to take place in the most perfect ways in the tabernacle. All of those rules and all of those regulations and all of those stipulations are now applied to the temple. And this is now God's presence shows up. Are you guys with me? Don't disengage here. 
God's presence. Now, the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant is put here. This is it. We're not resting. We're not, we're not traveling anymore. We're in the promised land. And this is the temple, the permanent resting place. The Ark of the Covenant's here. I would be nervous if I, if I was one of these priests. We have to get to work. We have to do all of these things. It says, at that moment when the thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord, the priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord had filled the temple. Man, we've said it before. I said it the very first message this year is we want to do good things for the Lord. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. And yet when his presence comes, stop trying to do good things for him and just rest in him. Right? Stop trying to act like a Christian in those moments and just be, just, just be a Christian then. Be willing to sit and rest. The Lord caught me on this this past week and actually I was at the conference. <clears throat> I felt like his presence was like very heavy in one moment and he starts speaking to me. And what I did is I turned around and I got my notebook and I started writing all these things. And then when I closed the notebook, I, I, I couldn't re-engage again. And I thought he wanted me to speak on that very thing. And yet a week later, I'm not speaking on that very thing. And he corrected me in that. And he's like, listen, in that moment, I'm allowed to speak to you. That doesn't mean you have to do something right now. That doesn't mean I have to grab a pen. It doesn't mean I have to speak out prophetically. It doesn't mean I have to do one more thing and speak before God. I can just behold his glory. Do we trust him enough to change us in that way? Five of you do. That's great. Like, I think so. <laughs> right? Do we trust him? If we don't have our notebook with us, we don't have our recorder, we don't, we don't have somebody to interpret it, we don't have a microphone, none of that stuff. We just have him below the surface where nobody will see us. Nobody will ever say what an awesome time you had in his glory. But you'll have that relationship face to face. Why don't you stand with Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.